Just a disclaimer on this episode. Sorry to say, <laughs> it's a mixed audio experience. <laughs> <laughs> we had the mics cut out. We're not pros. They cut out a little bit in part of our recording, and so it doesn't sound as good. And then it comes back in, so if you can bear with it's it. It's like a sandwich. It's like a sandwich. Shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, how could you... What, what better for our Pluto episode? <laughs> but it's a juicy episode. We hope you love it anyway. And thank you for listening. Club Cosmos Radio. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm okay i've been feeling you know mars is in my fifth house mm -hmm. and it's been trining my jupiter and i kind of forgot what that feels like it's a bit manic <laughs> it's a bit like cut in school feeling like i want to <laughs> cut school and go to never never land right <laughs> i have been a little bit in a reverie state of mind which is weird considering or no not weird appropriate considering the state of the world yeah definitely i definitely feel like i'm trying to engage with some kind of like distant romance in the world by like watching movies in the morning before work wow a morning <laughs> movie i love that you know mars is so impatient like yesterday on my lunch break we went to bub and grandma's our friend Carlos was managing. I was just trying to have like a quick sandwich on my break. Carlos sent over like stewed cabbage and then like a cappuccino and I had a roast beef sandwich and then lime pie. Whoa. And then like, I was like, what the hell kind of work day <laughs> lunch is this? I'm no uh, Don Draper. <laughs> it just felt like very that Mars Jupiter energy of like very indulgent and now I have to go back to work yeah like I can't fully be in this moment of indulgence because I'm also sweating but like how much stuff can I squeeze into my day <laughs> yeah. yeah which you know I don't want to work at all yeah me neither it's like work how to work in times like these <laughs> how are you Venus is in Libra are you yeah well no <laughs> But I hope to soon. I I really tried. To, I I made my altar very pretty this morning. Mm. I'm trying to get little <laughs> little trinkets, little favors because um you know, as Megan the Stallion says, <laughs> this pussy depressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's. I mean, we don't need to harp on this. Mm. Everybody knows the vibes out there. Just kind of standing by watching a genocide happening and just yeah. trying to trying to engage with it trying to live trying to like just the boundaries around how much of my attention my every day needs to just be poured into this mm -hmm. tragedy um but i had a very cute weekend i think that's kind of part of it actually i had a really cute escapist weekend went out 
every night, which that's not that's not regular for old Chrissy <laughs> over here. <laughs> Stayed up late, drank a lot, laughed a lot, saw a ton of friends, felt really like filled up. And then Monday came and it was just like well, what the hell are we going to do now? <laughs> All the good stuff is behind me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we really need this, this Libra energy more than anything. This sweet, kind, definitely peace loving Libra energy. Uh, like, I don't love that Venus is going to be conjoining the South node. I do not love that, but girl, we need you. <laughs> Venus fix my life. <laughs> Anyway, let's let's get this little part of it out of the way first before we go on an upswing and then go back into Pluto. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, this week we found out, I mean, polls, polls, schmoles mostly, but um, it is interesting that this poll that came out this week found that basically in five key battleground states, Joe Biden is trailing Donald Trump, which, you know... (laughs) <laughs> fuck them both in, in basically every way. Yeah. But um, it's interesting from the astrological side of this that um, so many of these eclipses, so much of this, all of this Scorpio astrology is just banging on his Scorpio stellium in the 12th house. Biden's. Uh, Biden's. What yeah. did I say? Oh, I, I just, just didn't clarifying. say. <laughs> <laughs> You're I great. just didn't say. Um, these new eclipses are happening between his 10th and 11th and 4th and 5th house axes. So, yeah, lots mm-hmm. of big stuff coming for him. And that Uranus-Mars opposition um, on the 11th was conjoining his Mercury, Venus, and Sun. I mean, yeah, it feels like obvious, like in an obvious way, his fate is being connected with the greater conflict that Mm -hmm. this all of this very aggressive, shocking eclipse and Mars Uranus astrology has kicked up. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, the uh, <laughs> there's the Katie Delaney tweeted this week because it's like White House warns of like a very tight election to come, and she says, respectfully, warn yourself, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I mean, we'll talk about it in the upcoming astrology. What the Mars Uranus is all about, but it's just. I feel like I'm going to be holding on to my. Yeah, it's panties. a twister. <laughs> <laughs> but people don't love Joe Biden, but you know what? People do love abortion, as they proved in the Thank elections God. all week. Thank God. Here we go. Thank God for all the organizers and all the voters. You know, it's like a complete mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Like, National politics is always pretty hellacious, but um, the difference that can be made on the state level is so huge. As we saw, abortion access was defended in, in like, basically red-ass Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. And also, campaigning on abortion propelled Democratic victories in, con- the t- in the Kentucky governor's race, and it also tipped control of Virginia's legislature to prevent their Republican ass governor from doing all the diabolical things that he wanted to do with abortion access. Mm -hmm. Also to say that 
they're obviously the new like right playbook is to demonize trans children Mm -hmm. um, on top of everything else. And that was like all the candidates did this. And uh, and that was also roundly rebuffed. So we love that. (laughs) And that's where Uranus doesn't just fuck shit up for everyone. Uranus is a freedom fighter and a liberator in so many ways. And this little conjunct, this little part of the sky in Taurus is so important, or it has been so important in the abortion story or the latest chapter in Mm -hmm. the abortion story. Roe v. Wade was overturned on June 24th, 2022, with the moon and the north node at 21 degrees Taurus conjunct Uranus, and it was also being squared by Saturn and Aquarius. Venus was in Gemini, Venus sign of women. (laughs) But it's interesting in the, just as a note, in the U.S. Sibley chart that Taurus occupies that fifth house, Mm. um, which has to do with children, reproduction. So we all remember how gutted we were that day. But last year, Kansas, the, the Kansas abortion referendum in that following August, uh, Mars, Uranus, and the North Node were, were conjoining that original configuration at 18 and 19 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uranus coming through with another mm-hmm. uh, victory, basically like um, the will of the people can't be repressed, you know, yeah. or suppressed. And then then Venus was also in Cancer, you know, mm-hmm. the sign of women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yesterday, when all these special elections, well, when all these elections were called, uh, Uranus retrograde was right on top of that 21 degrees again, too. Mm. So it's a fateful <laughs> little part of the sky. Yeah, that's so interesting. It feels, you know, Uranus is it definitely, especially in Taurus, is swings back and forth this has that erratic energy of changing what the values are or mm. switching them up and it's so interesting that Taurus rules the fifth house of the US's chart because the US just historically has always funneled all of its issues through the lens of like what the children need yeah or what the how the children are suffering or something which is such a screen for <laughs> so many problems sometimes yeah. so yeah. Yeah, it just all really speaks to Pluto and Capricorn, Capricorn being the person at the top, the executive branch, Mm -hmm. just being a diabolical mess Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is so ineffective and that hopefully that's the better side of Pluto and Aquarius is like, yeah, some kind of power to the people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that we're just going to see so much changing about the way that we interact with technology, um, like yeah. understatement of the millennium, yeah. Yeah, understatement of, of the millennium as Pluto continues the journey or basically really starts the journey in earnest through yeah. Aquarius. It was interesting. Kendrick Lamar launched this dumb phone with no internet browser or apps this week that sold out instantly. It basically has the most, the most basic functionality possible and a weird random eight ball feature because he is a Gemini still. after all. <laughs> I mean, I love that a celeb got behind that because there's been versions of that that haven't taken off. And I love that idea. I remember like years ago, some friend who teaches art at NYU was like, 
all my cool kids have dumb phones and it's not like a drug thing. It's just that they don't want to do this anymore. My friend Erin, uh, when she was a teacher, she said that too, where it's like all the popular girls had like a flip phone, but then they also had like an iPhone. Right. right. (laughs) The one you keep at home. Right. Right. The one when you need to like Google something. Yeah. (laughs) But man, how I pine, how I pine for a razor. I know they came back, but I feel like they're too smart. A Blackberry would be great. Just something a little more analog would be like so cute. I'm, I actually hate my iPhone at this point and Mm -hmm. I'm ready. I'm ready for something much dumber. (laughs) Gen Z has been hating it and addicted to it for a long time. They have much more self-awareness around their addiction to it than us millennials do. We kind of like still romanticize it and then we're like disappointed that it's so mean. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. Uh, Yeah. And of course we went bankrupt, which we all saw coming for a mile, but it just does feel like Pluto and Aquarius could very well put the nail in the coffin in that like digital community fantasy yeah legs coming soon (laughs) yeah (laughs) coming soon uh and also uh you really called it last (laughs) week because when you know it saturn went direct this week and the orcas went direct (laughs) (laughs) to whip the shit out of another boat in the strait of gibraltar on the sixth this is a a saturn and pisces story that i can't get enough of (laughs) i love it okay astrology of the week (laughs) making me feel weak (laughs) (laughs) i feel like this is one of those moments where it's important to recognize that mundane astrology is intense because we have the information of everything going on in the world Mm -hmm. it's easy to be affirmed in any direction really totally the personal experience even when the world is dismal there can still be good things that happen to you personally. Yes. That's so important to hold on to. (laughs) And to not be ashamed of that. Yeah. Keyword to the Pluto topic that you can still have a separate experience to what is happening in the collective. And it's important. (laughs) Yeah. We need, we need good things to be happening to people. Yeah. So all that said, <laughs> yeah, all that said, it's that disclaimer <laughs> that I'm sure has all of you shaking in your boots. It's a little rough out there. It continues in a way that, you know, usually the first new moon or full moon after an eclipse is like a relief point. It's mm-hmm. it's starting over. And this one really feels like the eclipses continue this one this week. So just to start off tomorrow, Saturday, November 11th. Mars is opposing Uranus. This is kind of the tone of the whole week. Yeah. We don't love to see this in a time of instability and war because it's very much like freedom fighter, um, reactionary, reactionary, like explosive actions towards any kind of sense of freedom and Freedom is not like a neutral value, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's very subjective. So yeah, just not, not great energy in terms of like pacifying um, or calling down the kinds of tensions that we've been seeing um, mm-hmm. and, and all Uranus stuff, Mars and Uranus stuff 
what makes it so crazy is the that it's kind of unpredictable by nature. Yeah. There's a shock. There's a shock value because of the Uranus quality and because of the way that Mars can take just explosive, it just can take action in, in a fast and um, unpremeditated even way. So, yeah, it turns the volume up, the energy up so much. And Uranus is such an unpredictable outlet for mm-hmm. it that it's just in general for the week, it's be as mindful, be as deliberate as you can. It's very easy with this kind of energy to just fly off the handle yeah. or do something that you might regret. Yeah. Try and like sit in the pocket of all of the Scorpio energy that's being highlighted this week a little bit and be strategic about the way that you're using your energy. Yeah. Yeah. This can protect yours and be protective of your energy this week. Yeah, exactly. Especially when we get to the new moon on Monday, November 13th, new moons are already inherently low energy. Mm -hmm. It's like, they can be really sweet and spiritual, but they are, you know, dark. It's yeah. not your full energy. But the Mars and Uranus opposition are still here. So it's your low energy and amped up. It's mm-hmm. not the greatest combo. So, you know, you can be private. You yeah. can keep it chill. Eat, feed yourself. Take yeah. care of your body. Give it what it wants. Just every use all of your self soothing protocols today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a the new moon is at twenty degrees Scorpio. Did we say that? No. Um, and it is conjunct Mars and opposite Uranus. So just really adding to the signature mm-hmm. <laughs> that starts off on on Saturday. Wednesday is kind of the cutest day. It's like a little bit of a break. Mercury sextiles Venus. Mercury and Sag and Venus and Libra. This is a really nice day to kind of forget the troubles, mm-hmm. like hang out with your friends, check in with your people, try to do something that just feels a little bit more light and expansive, learning something, going to a movie, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's good to connect. It's a good day, especially if things have been feeling heated in your relationships. It's a good day to talk about it. Yeah. And then Friday is the Mars Kazemi, which this means that Mars will be directly aligned with the sun, essentially from our vantage point in the center of the sun Mm -hmm. at 25 degrees Scorpio. Both the sun and Mars trying Neptune earlier than the same day. This is like, you know, purifying Mars, but Mars is so powerful Mm -hmm. when it's Kazemi. It's already powerful in Scorpio. This could really be great for focus and directive Mm -hmm. action it's also intense though it's incredible like it's incredible in terms of just like electional astrology Mm -hmm. for any big project that you that like a personal project that Mm -hmm. you're going to be putting a lot of effort into with sun stuff it's kind of like yeah something that it's like has to do with your purpose or your Mm -hmm focus of if you're starting I don't know like it's a great it's a great day to start something because Mars has so much power and energy and focus and mm-hmm. in Scorpio it's really got stamina for the long haul um mm-hmm. and this is the kind of beginning of a new two-year Mars cycle and and with the Neptune trine there too I like that because it mm-hmm. kind of adds some 
a note of compassion um, mm-hmm. and collective engagement with this really focused, you know, and maybe like individualistic Kazemi with Mars and the sun and Scorpio. Yeah, it could be healing and creative mm-hmm. if you want it to be. Yeah. Great is- day to talk to your psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> About the week you had. <laughs> this is all happening right on Biden stuff. I'm like... I know, but that'll... T- <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Biden. We'll see what happens with Taylor and Travis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This is their... This is their day. <laughs> this is happening right on their Mars and Venus. His... Her Scorpio Mars, his Scorpio Venus is at 25 degrees too. So mm-hmm. just keep an eye out for any, <laughs> any news there. That's it for the week. And now we are continuing the intensity. We're going to be talking about Pluto. Pluto. So much to say about Pluto, the tiniest, tiniest little planet that does so much big big (laughs) stuff um I guess a good place to start would just be to kind of ground ourselves in the Pluto myth um obviously Pluto or I I don't know how to say this in like an ancient Greek way (laughs) Pluton um which means giver of wealth uh is the Greek god of the underworld and Basically, that was split sovereignty over the world in Greek, in the Greek cosmology is split equally between Pluto and his brothers, Zeus and Poseidon, who control the sky and the ocean, respectively. So Pluto, he was kind of like, he had much less of a story than his brothers or like, there was just like much less kind of like involved, like the Persephone myth, it's kind of like his key story. But it's interesting the way that, like, Pluto, they they came to think about him in different ways. Like, another name for him used to be Hades, or the Hidden One, which is his older name. Um, and that's kind of associated, it became associated with, the, like, the name of the underworld itself, called Hades. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just kind of, like, the darker, more violent side of, of his personality as, like, the king of the underworld. Like his role as the abductor of Persephone and just kind of like this violent outsider where everyone else is like partying on Olympus and he's just in this world of like dead spirits. Um, But Pluto, Pluton uh, is also associated with Plutos and they became kind of one, which is the Greek god of wealth. And that makes a lot of sense because like, jewels, gold, mineral wealth all comes from the earth. Um, and that also gave him this kind of, um, agri- king of the, the, the ruler of agriculture. Like the people would pray to him for a bountiful harvest because seeds are buried deep in the ground as well. Like all of this fertility and energy and wealth is underground, which is his world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in personal mm-hmm. astrology, it has so much to do with our our psychology, yeah, our shadows, our own personal underworlds that mm-hmm. need to be integrated and produce some fruits of their own that we may like or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially like our kind of taboo or 
our secrets, the mm-hmm. things that are shameful, the things that are traumatic, the things that we're obsessed with. Yeah. <laughs> our fixations. Yeah. And I think the death and rebirth aspect of Pluto really speaks to the experience of grief and loss, but also just the experience of disempowerment and empowerment. <laughs> The transformation of turning pain into something powerful. Totally. We're going to talk a lot about the kind of psychological dimension of Pluto and how it lives inside of your own chart. But Pluto is the slowest moving quote unquote planet (laughs) in astrology. And so as a result of that, it tells really broad stories about where Plutonian themes are, are cropping up in our world, depending on what sign it's in. It's been called a generational planet, which it is, mm-hmm. but um, it's kind of a little bit of, uh, of, of a, a side effect of the time that we've been living mm-hmm. in, because it's got an orbit that's pretty quirky. Very elliptical. It takes about 248 years to go around the sun, but it spends the shortest amount of time in Scorpio, about 12 years, and then the longest amount of time in Taurus, 31 and a half years. Somewhere in between there is everything else. Mm -hmm. The way that Pluto spends enough time in these signs can outline pretty neatly or correspond pretty neatly with whole generations. And Pluto, as we mentioned does speak to power and really speaks to both the self-destruction <laughs> and the deeper and darker truths and the power struggles of a certain generation. Like, what is really the transformation that generation goes through? I decided it perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's really interesting because, like, what something that we talked about in our Neptune and Pisces episode uh, when we were talking about the discovery of Neptune... You know, it's not like we're out here just, like, discovering so many planets all the time. It's pretty special. (laughs) So when a planet is discovered, it marks the beginning of the energies of that planet in our, you know, kind of transpersonal consciousness. Like, in the 1780s, when Uranus was discovered around the Enlightenment, it's like this idea of the individual as being something really unique and powerful and special that was like ready to be born in the world, Mm -hmm. that a person is like sovereign and deserving of rights. And in the 1840s, when Neptune was discovered, it's bringing in the concept of the collective again, back into the individual. New forms of art, new forms of creativity. Cinema. Cinema! And like, what do we, we, like, we can't just be completely individual. We have a society and what, what Mm -hmm. is our society Mm -hmm. together? How do we cooperate? Pluto was discovered in 1930 and they'd been on the hunt in very Pluto fashion. They've been trying to find this little bugger for like 30 years at that point. They were calling it planet X because they basically noticed they discovered Neptune because something they saw something funky was happening with Uranus's orbit that made them think that there's something else there, mm-hmm. but it wasn't completely explained by Neptune. So they were looking for whatever that other thing is. So the announcement of Pluto onto the scene, what kind of energies do you think that that brought around 1930 <laughs> into the public consciousness? Uh 
the 30s. Obviously, this is post-World War mm-hmm. One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is really uh, seeing mass destruction, one of the hardest, most destructive wars there's yeah. ever been, and seeing power dynamics that were very intense, tyrannical, mm-hmm. plutonian powers. Yeah, what else? It's like... It it kind of represents this paradigm shift about how we consider the world to work, I think, where Mm -hmm. it's just like, with industrialization, with nuclear power, um, and then also with these images of like, mass annihilation, and like, the possibility of, of that, that is possible in a way that in, on a global scale, honestly, like a world war. Mm-hmm. Like, we've never had anything like that before. Yeah. And, of course, this is in the lead-up to the Second World War, which gave us the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it just created this sense of, or, like, heralded the beginning of, like, a super-duper extractive stage of capitalism. Mm-hmm. An idea of, like, infinite growth, power, like, like super global superpowers mm-hmm. um and even just how that exists on like a micro scale like the accumulation of wealth by individuals through industry essentially that was completely impossible in any other time but yeah just an image of like annihilating power and authoritarianism mm-hmm. like the the thought for the first time that haunts basically the the 20th century that you can be the whole world can be annihilated at any moment. Very Pluto fears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the darkest of dark. Yeah. It's interesting, as an aside here, uh, there's this astrologer and quirky-ass druid dude <laughs> 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 that I listen to on this podcast. I think it's called Stargazer. Um, his name is John Michael Greer. And he wrote this book called The Twilight of Pluto that basically... Well, he says the Plutonian era exists from 1900 to 2036, essentially, and that we've been witnessing, we witnessed the birth of Pluto as a relevant planet, like, leading up to its discovery and throughout the last century, and now we're witnessing the death of it, basically, once it got demoted to a dwarf planet in Mm -hmm. 2006, (laughs) when they realized, because of the technology that we have, they thought Pluto was huge, also, when they first discovered it. They thought it was massive. And then they're like, okay, maybe it's the size of, like, Earth. And then they're like, okay. It just kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking over the 20th century, the more information that we had about it. And now we know it to be one four hundredth the size of Earth and one seventh the size of a moon. Just a little ice rock. <laughs> so tiny. So Out there. it's Napoleon. Yes, totally. The most destructive, the tiniest. It's very powerful Oz energy where yeah. like and that's also like how you work with Pluto at the same time. You have to pull back the curtain and realize that basically like the thing that you're most afraid of, you are more powerful than. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. So that's kind of interesting to come back to. He kind of, he, in that book, he looks at other planets that had been discovered and then demoted to dwarf planets and just how that exists. And it makes a lot of sense when you look at where we are right now, where like mm-hmm. he calls it, which I think is so interesting, like the planet of hype and false promises, like the way that we think that this power that's brought on by all of this progress can give us like 
an incredible life, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that can, the nuclear power can basically, you know, that we can go live on the moon and we can go like, that's how they thought that this is all going to play out. And we still have those kinds of myths and promises, but it's like, we're also at the end of the, of the carrying capacity of our extractive mm-hmm. economy. So essentially it's like, it's lies are also that we can have infinitely expanding power. That's not true. Mm-hmm. There are limits and there need to be limits. And two, that, you know, at any moment, everyone on earth will just die. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like hyperbolic in either way and, and not true in either way. But those are like the two, the delusions and the fears associated with Pluto. Yeah, that's such a fascinating marriage between Pluto and capitalism. And now we're at the tail end of that supposed cycle that John Michael Greer talks about in 2036 being the end. Because we're in Pluto and Capricorn. Mm -hmm. It's the end of that hierarchy. That hierarchy also being a false... I mean, there's a false narrative to every kind of signs perfect mm-hmm. uh delivery or something but or image of power right and but of course we all know that even when you get to the top it's never you're never satiated it never feels like enough no. power as i mean not that i know what that's like <laughs> yeah that's so <laughs> your vibe <Leah. laughs> starving for power ruthless <laughs> cruel but, taskmaster yeah. <laughs> You know how you hear the- her thirst for astrology will never be quenched. <laughs> um, but you hear about this story all the time, like famous people. You can have all the money and all the stuff, and it doesn't feel like some massive enlargement of the self. It because it's a lie. Empty. It's, it's a, a lie. It's a lie that you can yeah. amass enough power that you can escape death, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And life. You know, looking at it on this macro scale is very helpful. And in fact, it's not even the personal effects of Pluto are so intertwined with the collective experience Mm -hmm. of it, because it's about what power does to us individually Mm -hmm. and how we enact power. And power, of course, needs shame. Mm -hmm. It needs, um, there's like more, I guess, maybe more neutral forms of power and that there's like powerful psychological experiences mm-hmm. or like psychedelic experiences mm-hmm. or um sex sex of course yeah <laughs> another like, pluto yeah experience yeah the way that like like transformational relationships mm-hmm. death the not yeah, 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 yeah. It, the an encounter with death I mean, not that that's so like that feels so good but it's something that transforms us Yeah, and one of the biggest effects of all of that can be shame, Mm -hmm. which shame is like such a loaded term, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's like the worst feeling in the world. And there's a lot of different ways that it gets defined, but shame feeds on a lot of these other keywords that Pluto is or, you know, we've mentioned before, but Pluto in modern day rulership is associated with Scorpio. There's very similar themes and maybe the eighth house, but the themes of secrecy, privacy, taboo, shame needs all of those things to exist. Yeah. And it also creates just a distortion in your view about power, your Mm -hmm. own power, the power that's over you, the power you have over others. Yeah. I'll, I'll just give a little run through of some of the ways that shame has been defined because mm-hmm. it's, 
it's also interesting in this timeline of the legacy of Pluto in the 20th century and yeah. 21st century is this is something that is not even really talked about until we talk about psychology, <laughs> study psychology. Freud is really like one of the first to talk about and write about guilt and shame. And especially in, in civilization and its discontent in 1930, which Pluto was discovered. He describes guilt and shame as the tension between the superego and the ego, the superego basically being our adaptation to living with other people. It's everyone else, the collective. Mm -hmm. That's when we're aware that there are social norms. Mm -hmm. And he believed the individual urges, the id, the original, quote, self-subsisting instinctual disposition of man (laughs) were those impulses were the greatest impediment to civilization that the id is often very aggressive that we have like base desires that show up our baby self yeah our baby self but our super ego and our knowledge of everyone else (laughs) is like this isn't really acceptable (laughs) our internalized voice of culture (laughs) yeah and he says that that's we redirect those impulses back to ourselves and it becomes self-punishing or Mm self-aggressive which sure (laughs) but that's also pretty like judeo-christian yeah thinking there are tons of other people who kind of elaborate on this i just wanted to mention karen horney because she's much more um of a feminist humanistic perspective on the role of society and shame. There are just certain people who feel more shame in society. Mm-hmm. Of course, she starts to introduce that. John Bradshaw. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Do you think that shame is like a modern idea? Do you think it's like a modern construction? Even though it's been used since the dawn of humanity. Yeah. Well, it's like when you take it, when you basically um, secularize it. Yeah, I would say so. Because without, like, the shame, basically, like, without sin, without, like, some idea of, like, right. a doctrine that says if you're doing good or bad and, right. like, what's right. going to happen to you if you act a certain way, mm-hmm. like, without that, what do we have? Because, I don't know, I guess what I'm I'm just thinking about is, like, what are what is the functionality of shame? Who does shame serve? You know, there's obviously religious shame, and that's a big part of it. And it's sort of within the structure, though, of here's what you do to get rid of it, or here's mm-hmm. what you do to confess, right to absolve yourself. Depends depends on the religion, but yeah. <laughs> but it's like in this context of thinking about the collective, it still feels like kind of a new way of thinking about everyone else. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit more confusing. Seeing more experiences of other people, the documentation. more information about what people go through I think the shame the secular shame notion becomes really big it's like what do we do with all this knowledge now Mm -hmm. it has so much to do with our imagination about how other people are and yeah how we are in relationship to them Yeah, and there's just, like, we are humans, and when we see mass destruction, it's very hard not to be, like, is is this what I'm capable of? Yeah. How could I, how did I not, how did I affect this or not? Yeah, I'm human. Yeah. And look at what humans do. It's more like a plutonic interplay at the same time, where 
without without God, without religion, mm-hmm. shame just basically gives us that like micro macroscopic view of like I have the power to stop all the bad things that are happening in the world and to me, and I didn't do use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a complete distortion or I'm completely powerless and I'm basically a wretched person. <laughs> yeah. I don't deserve, I don't deserve life. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because then as the psychology changes in the sixties, seventies, eighties, it starts to think about things a little bit more and like, what are the organizing principles mm-hmm. in society? It starts to look at society more rather than just, art it and super ego mm-hmm. and ego and thomas chef he starts to talk about shame as one of the most common emotions i guess he says basically it's the most common emotion everywhere but mm-hmm. that it's the most repressed in western culture and uh gershon kaufman who wrote with him basically makes this point by saying that our culture western culture is a shame-based culture but here shame is hidden there's shame about shame. And so it <laughs> remains under strict taboo. All of these Plutonian keywords. Yeah. Other cultures, for example, Eastern and Mediterranean, are organized more openly around shame and its counterpart, honor. What we need in our culture is to honor shame and thereby redeem it. Wow. Which is, you know, it's not necessarily neutral that there's like an honor and shame system either. Like, right. We know that that is intense. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, also very restrictive. Yeah. What what planet is honor though? I don't know. Wow. Um might might just off the dome, I would say Saturn. Yeah, I think so too. Where it's just like the somber acknowledgement that there's a reason there's a reason for these feelings and to understand why or like what they are and put them in their proper place essentially mm-hmm. to contextualize them uh at, while taking them very seriously yeah especially because honor is typically defined in like not being emotional yeah truly so stoic yeah and then of course Brene Brown <laughs> our folksy girl yeah. who, uh, what's her sign I think she's a Scorpio it's yeah she's, cliche <laughs> I don't know for sure. Let me just double check. Yeah, she's a Scorpio. Um, She has popularized shame resilience theory, basically saying that shame survives off silence, secrecy, and judgment, and empathy kills it. Empathy is the antidote to shame. And shame lives where there's no room for failure and vulnerability, which contradicts that honor, Mm -hmm. that honor theory. Like, honor is so much about not failing. Yeah. Uh, the gremlin of not good enough is what she calls shame. <laughs> um, but she distinguishes that shame is a focus on self and guilt is a focus on behavior, like the I am bad versus I did something bad. Right. And then last but not least, Gabor Mate, he really talks about shame as intergenerational and central to feeling addiction and that we're all so prone to addiction that we're in an addictive society addiction being the need to regulate our stressed out system Mm -hmm. but there's shame that we even have to do that yeah it feels like it goes back to that like honor Mm -hmm. (laughs) idea essentially or like the the ability the failure of self-control is essentially yeah what causes shame (laughs) 
Which is ridiculous because yeah. it's such a stressful world. I know. I know. Like, it's nice to that we're growing. <laughs> we're growing in our, our understanding of the world, which is maybe something we can thank Neptune and Pisces for mm-hmm. in terms of just personal shame is never disconnected from the collective, mm-hmm. you know, which is like one of the most damaging parts of shame is its ability to isolate you and basically condemn you, um, move, remove you from the world and make you feel powerless or unworthy. Yeah. And just the knowledge that like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into the way that you feel about yourself and the way that you feel about your life. Shame is so much an internalization of like fucked up and made up systems of value completely. But to go back to your point about Neptune, which is so fascinating is that Neptune and Pluto have cycles of interaction together. We talked about in the horror episode that Neptune and Pluto conjoined in the late 1800s. That's really like the first inklings Mm -hmm. of psychology. But the first time that Neptune and Pluto started to sextile was in 1928. Wow. Right before Pluto was discovered, we're still in a Neptune sextile Pluto. So we're inherently understanding power dynamics while having empathy in this collective (laughs) world. Right. Or power dynamics are being essentially like on the other side of that, or also, and yeah, power dynamics are being kind of atomized or like diffused into yeah. our cultural consciousness in a way that makes it feel like it's ours <laughs> um, more yeah. so than ever. Totally. Totally. Which that sucks. <laughs> that sextile ends in mid. 2030s, same time that he says Ah! Pluto. Wow. It's so true that Neptune, like we've talked about with Neptune and Pisces, like, is social media and this proliferation of lifestyle, Mm -hmm. attainability. It's actually crazy that maybe this sextile has been (laughs) fucking us up this whole century! Because, like, you know, in astrology, sextile is a positive aspect. Mm-hmm. It is a, it is the province of Venus. It is a relational cheerleader kind of aspect. Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, Neptune, the planet of mass consciousness, art, creativity, has been the handmaiden for every kind of power grab that Pluto totally. has ever wanted to make. Ugh. God. And just the victim consciousness that we have, or like that comes with the shame, that comes with the side yeah. of just like, you know, our failures to be powerful, our failures to feel powerful is so the province of like Neptune mm-hmm. and, and just kind of like this diffuse compassion fatigue that makes us feel like, well, we don't want to be victimized. And that creates an incredibly plutonic dynamic between all of us of like essentially life or death competition. Like it actually in so many ways, it, it it binds us as a collective because we're all like dealing with Pluto's story together, Yeah, but it pits us against each other in a plutonic way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, capitalism and Pluto and power need victims. Need suffering. Need someone to suffer and have less so that yeah, others can have more. Wow. 
All right. Well, actually, now I'm excited. I for know. The <laughs> I know this druid knows what he's talking about. <laughs> well, what does all of this mean for our personal charts? It's a. It's. I think it's a little bit of like a complicated answer, mm-hmm. and just we'll say before we start going through the signs that so much of Pluto's power in her own chart has to do with its interactions to your personal planets or whether it has any or not. Like it's not just like everybody has some huge Pluto story, but at the same time, it is an element of your psychology. Like Mm -hmm. where, when you see where, what does Pluto feel like in a chart or like, what do you do with a Pluto? What do you do with Pluto? Take it to your therapist. (laughs) I mean, therapy is a Plutonic activity. Therapists are Pluto workers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Howard Sisportis, I don't know if I'm saying that right, suggested, he's an astrologer, and he suggested that wherever Pluto resides, you are handed a shovel and told to dig deep. So this is like the area of your chart where you have to be brave and truthful about your experience mm-hmm. and your feelings. That can get, even if your Pluto is really kind of unasked or not really aspected by much in your mm. personal, like not touching your sun or your Mars, Venus, Mercury, any of your personal planets or ascendant, like Pluto transits or, or planets transiting your Pluto mm-hmm. bring the Pluto energy up in mm-hmm. your life and in your consciousness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like, we all have it. Some people are Plutonic people. Like if you have Pluto, like conjunct your ascendant, like you are Pluto energy in the yeah. world. And we'll talk about Pluto through the houses, but yeah, I'd say that like everyone goes through Pluto transits at mm-hmm. some point in their life to some planet. And those are crazy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any tales? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, without getting too intense about it. I mean, I first got into astrology and uh, when I found out, <laughs> I subsequently found out that Pluto was opposing my moon. Pluto was opposite my moon. My mm. Pluto is in Capricorn. My moon is in Cancer. And it happened because there were so much Plutonian things happening in my life that were activating my creepy ass cancer moon at the same time where it's like, okay, a psychic tells me a ghost is attached to me. A bunch of teens try and mug me. There's a peeping Tom that's menacing our building. I had two peeping Toms in this period of time Mm. in a different place. And it's just like, it brings you into a place of like survival of Mm. like fight or flight. Um, and of feeling just essentially like all of a sudden in, in that very like scorpionic way too, where it's just like the way that a crisis can just really clarify your (laughs) existence. Mm -hmm. And it taught me a lot that first round that sucked a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. because it was dealing with my moon and the lesson was I need boundaries. I need I didn't know that I needed them because I didn't know what the 12th house was until I had this transit. I didn't know what any of this was. But then, yeah, I'm at the tail end of a Pluto transit to my sun and my Mercury, which is basically like, it didn't feel, I will say it didn't feel as just like, you know, menacing or like um, Mm -hmm. frightening or any of that as, as that opposition to my moon did. But it's a crucible of like 
rock tumbling you into your most authentic self. And mm-hmm. there are times inside of that where you feel like I am a fucking God, <laughs> essentially <laughs> I've burned away. Like it's like where it's just like, it's you've stripped so much away mm-hmm. that you've lost a lot. You've given a lot away mm-hmm. and you feel like you're at a complete place of emptiness and from there, you're like, I'm purely myself. Mm. But then, of course, that's also a Pluto illusion <laughs> of being feeling like you're God. <laughs> if you feel like you're God, you're ready for another Pluto lesson, which is yeah. just that like life goes on, you know, and like you'll have a new set of problems for your newly clarified and colonic version of your <laughs> personality. <laughs> Yeah, it's not about ego. It's not about ego. And in fact, your ego will get smashed to smithereens mm-hmm. in the process, most likely. But it's for your own good. I thought that's what I'm telling myself. I'm still in it. And darlings, I'm so tired. But you know what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's OK. You can you can you can make it through. But it's a power. It's powerful. If you have a Pluto transit like that, just know that you're you're one of the chosen ones to have this experience because not everybody does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pluto is so slow that it doesn't move around your entire chart. Like most other planets do. It doesn't touch every part of your chart, only a small part of it. So it's very, very faded and transformative. What those transits are. We, should have reverence for the Capricorns of the past. <laughs> That's what we keep saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like having Pluto transit your sun, which all Capricorns have yes. at some point. Solidarity since, with my... <laughs> yeah, since 2008. It's a really, really intense dissolution of your ego. Yeah. To go through a Pluto transit like that. It's a complete identity shift. Mm-hmm. A, a crisis, a healing mm-hmm. crisis, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, before 2008, Sagittarius went through it. And mm-hmm. then before that, Scorpio went through it. It just depends on how old you are and where your stuff is in your chart. But Aquarians, you're next, darlings. You are. What is the effect when you have Pluto in aspect to one of your personal planets? That just is a little bit like it depends on the planet, just how it it manifests. Mm. And of course, also all the caveats of like what house it's in, all of that stuff, what Mm. sign it's in. But like that just turns plutonic energy on in that part of your chart. This is a very, it's like a little bit of a hack. So it's generic, Mm -hmm. but like. If you have hard aspects like a square opposition to Pluto with one of your personal planets, it says something about what might be an obstacle to how you deal with those Mm. Pluto themes in your life, how you deal with really like confronting those truths and transforming your shame. Mm -hmm. So you can really look at like, what is the shadow side of Mars or something or Venus? Mm -hmm. If it's trine or sextile, those personal planets might be a little bit more of a, an aid or a key to how you can get to a more courageous, emotional place. Great hack. Thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, angles, basically the rising and the midheaven, especially are such public sensitive points. Having Pluto mm-hmm. there can make you a very Plutonian, mm-hmm. Plutonic figure. Yeah. And just really kind of connect you to collect more collective or Mm -hmm. you got to act out your Pluto or you like 
you you there's like just no other option <laughs> it's who you it's who you are in in the public world and that can often be a very powerful role mm-hmm. um okay pluto through the houses so starting with the first house especially the closer it is to the ascendant like we mentioned that the more intense mm-hmm. this gets but this is a plutonic personality this is you are presenting and People interpret you as very powerful or dominant or intense. You can be directive. You can be a truth sayer. It's just a plutonic worldview. You're so aware of power mm-hmm. dynamics and seeing the world in that way. Yeah. You can really see like the pow- the victims <laughs> as well. Like, like having a plutonic worldview can also just make the way that people dominate and subjugate each other really clear in your in your eyes <laughs> yeah in your personal experience yeah too. totally i've also really noticed that it because the first house is the body like you can really like your plutonic experience can come through your body sometimes mm-hmm. like maybe you break out in hives when you're really stressed or just something like it can be visible in some capacity right right like it feels like it can also be a story about your physical transformation over mm-hmm. your life. Like mm-hmm. something about you really change your appearance in a certain mm-hmm. <laughs> dramatic way. And that liberates you. Um, yeah. But I think that these people experience a lot on that other side, similar to like a Scorpio kind of energy or like a super Scorpio person, mm-hmm. like you're straight up, you know, like you can't, you see the kind of like unvarnished reality of the world and you speak to it. It's like very like truth to power kind of energy, mm-hmm. but that can make people kind of like see you as being like, you're too much or too intense. You're too psychological. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be a little bit of like a scapegoat person. Yeah. Uh, for parts of your life, but maybe, younger life more particularly, but yeah, you thrive in situations where that side of you is, is celebrated. Like your directness and your honesty, like that is your sword of truth. Mm -hmm. Like it's too, it's so powerful. And like, we need truth tellers in the world and some people can't handle it. But yeah, I, I definitely feel like if you have this embrace your intensity. Yeah, babe, you are you're the one you're meant to <laughs> just have some Scorpio and Capricorn friends. Yeah. <laughs> Virgos too. I think can deal with it. <laughs> I can't remember an example, but I feel like these people are very good at acting in horror movies. Oh yeah. Well, it's just like they, you can really like embody the, mm-hmm. the plutonic mm-hmm. energy of that. Yeah. Second and, house. Yeah. The second house. This is, you know, the second house is material value, money. It's also just the way we value ourselves, our self-esteem. So they can, there can be big ups and downs in terms of self-esteem. Just deeper psychological work improves your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's there's bound to be some obsession or fixation on money and material security, maybe from, as with, anything psychological Mm -hmm. and especially Pluto, it can point to something from an earlier childhood experience. Yeah. Um, and that just connection with like a feeling of like safety or survival, like Mm -hmm. what does it take to make you feel safe? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like how much, 
how much do you like that? It's that's kind of like where the investigation is required because it's just like there can be a temptation to basically accumulate a lot um, mm-hmm. to add to your feeling of like survival and stability. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, that's the thing that kind of needs to be released in, in the form of like real security, like yeah. emotional security, self-esteem, the knowledge that basically like you got this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to be okay. High, the life comes with so many highs and lows Especially now in this day and age where it's just like, we're all on a crazy roller coaster where income is coming up and down Mm -hmm. all the time. So just finding the deeper resources that make you feel safe. Yeah. And enough. The third house, this is really about the way that you communicate. It's a plutonic way of communicating. So it can be dominant and confrontational verbally. It's really like in pursuit of telling the truth. It's very like Santa's not real, (laughs) but also just hyper perceptive of like psychological motivations or how people speak. Yeah. I'd say that like the first house, like you're just embodying Pluto. And I said that there, but like, this is a real like truth to power energy Mm -hmm. where it's like, this is a fearless communication style that's here to like tell people something fucking something fucked up is happening yeah. and yeah. we got to do something about it. Yeah. Um, like a real paradigm buster. It's like people that are just put here to shake the collective out of like their comfortable, not understanding of reality that mm-hmm. glosses over overlooks like, you know, some of the wrong and damage that's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's really like a source of transformation for you. Speech and knowledge, but often you can, people will shoot the messenger, (laughs) which is you. So some people, similarly, some people can't handle the truth, baby, but you can, you'd be a great like public defender or like, Mm -hmm. uh, even a prosecutor if you want to be so (laughs) Pluto about it. So just like morally (laughs) ambiguous about it. Or just like telling your story is a very powerful, if you want to be more personal about it, but you also just know the power of other people's origin stories. Totally. The fourth house. This one is so deep, literally, by nature. It's the house of your inherited psychology, your sense of home, your intergenerational powers and traumas. And I feel like this placement just comes with this really intuitive idea of like the lineage that comes before Mm -hmm. you, you know, like just and and placing kind of gravity and importance on that sense of family and home as like a shaping force in your life, your parents' lives, mm-hmm. their parents' lives. Sometimes this can be associated with, you know, a troubled home life as like a child. Mm-hmm. But I think that in a more general sense, you can't escape the not like even if you had what you would consider to be a like balanced, grounded, healthy mm-hmm. and normal life there are stories in your lineage that will just keep coming up where it's like, maybe it's like your dad wasn't an asshole, but maybe his dad was an asshole. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is just part of your life in this world and part of your place inside of your family. Mm -hmm. You, you might've also had a really Plutonian parent in one way or another, a very powerful person, you know, an aggressive, like, or, you know, all the negative qualities of Pluto, like Mm -hmm. power tripping, (laughs) um, asshole there can also be some challenged ideas or 
dislocated ideas of home. And it's really important for you to build your own home base. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that would that will probably change your life. Yeah. Honestly. To feel rooted, at least in some way. I feel like Pluto in the fourth, eighth, twelfth houses, the quote unquote dark mm -hmm. houses, all have a little bit of hyper intuitive psychic ability. Mm -hmm. To there's just a super perception of what the emotional tone is. Yeah. Yeah, with the underlayer of why why things feel the way they do. Yeah. And it's like you that's that's a powerful role inside of any family. You're yeah. I feel like this is very much like um a cycle breaker. Mm hmm. Energy. Family therapist. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Just add whatever kind of therapist, third <laughs> yeah. speech therapist, second, yeah. what's that? Just like a, a, a forensic accountant totally. <laughs> type of vibe. Yeah. <laughs> That's eighth house, but. <laughs> and a reminder, uh, Brittany is Pluto in the first. Yeah. So you want to talk about empowerment and disempowerment. And the swing between both of those poles has just been so dramatized by her and her yeah. body. Yeah. Fifth house. The fifth house. This one, you know, the fifth house is so much about letting loose and having a good time <laughs> and playing and expressing yourself. And Pluto here can make that just difficult. Yeah. It can feel like that is just uh too shameful mm -hmm. or or like not has safe. to be repressed mm -hmm. or not safe um there can be a little bit of like an early childhood experience or childhood experience in general that may have forced you to abandon your creative energies like in favor of something that's more quote unquote important or mm -hmm. survival but sometimes that can play out in a way of being self-destructive like so obsessed with needing to have fun that is almost addictive it's also like sometimes an obsession with validation but at its best it can be almost like a like therapeutic theater like you being <laughs> the the public bard your your art making or your creativity is like a way in which you can tell a deeper truth that helps people understand it in a more totally like the fool in any yeah, Shakespeare yeah. play that is like the ultimate truth teller, but that can do it because they're doing it. <laughs> they're doing mm -hmm. a cartwheel. <laughs> they're telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. And having children or not having children is just a, can be deeply transformative in your creative life. Like it's mm -hmm. just, it's, it's the house of children. So Yeah. Something around <laughs> children can be really transformative. Maybe you give birth to the Antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> the sixth house. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, Pluto's been in my six for so goddamn long. <laughs> If this is like really the house of like daily work and your kind of status is like an employee. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a house really that's focused on service, like the kind of bigger picture of it, um, in all ways. And when Pluto's in your six, it's so important that you don't let work control your fucking life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
it can be an obsession with service work and, or just like a workaholism or obsession with work. And it might've come from just having like way too much or way too little responsibility as a child. Mm -hmm. I see, I feel like this is a real, like a house of like a parentified child in a lot of ways too, where it's just like, you're always focusing on like being of service and you lose your sense of your own self and your needs Mm -hmm. because of that orientation. But God, this is like such a powerful house for like crisis work and like Plutonian service work, like Mm -hmm. frontliners and like working with any health concerns that are considered to be taboo, like addiction, AIDS, like fertility work. Like there's a real, you can go to just the heart of Mm -hmm. the most insane crisis and have that kind of just like, you're so attuned to it and you like know what to do Mm -hmm. when everyone else is losing their mind. And I think that so much of the work here is like, just let your routines be a little bit intense, (laughs) you know, like it's not like you can like, just be like chill. Like (laughs) (laughs) You can't be chill about work or service. That's just not in your destiny. But like, yeah, I think that you can just be serious about your, occupation or mm-hmm. your commitment, but it feels like in so many ways, this is like the classic nonprofit worker story mm-hmm. of like someone that is so just selflessly devoted to their cause and being of help. And it's like, they have no boundaries with it. They have no mm-hmm. personal life. Like it just dominates everything. So we need you so much. So we need you really to also be a little more selfish in terms of your personal needs. Yeah. You're grounding. If you're doing this kind of work in any way, it's like your grounding has to be equally intense. Yeah. It's completely like cathartic routines. Totally hard workouts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scream therapy. Yeah. Whatever you need. This can also be just like a really Plutonian boss that helps at like illustrate some of these yeah. themes where you're just like, wow, um, fuck work. Yeah. <laughs> the oh. six houses pets too. It's like pets could really change your life. <laughs> or you're like rehabbing taboo pets like pit bulls. Yeah, totally. You know? It's just like, this is the beauty of Pluto in that when it's in your natal chart, you can see through the shame and taboo of that subject a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. Totally. You can help other people not feel ashamed about those things. Beautiful. The seventh. Pluto's your boyfriend. (laughs) Yeah. This is just straight up having partnerships with Plutonian people. And as we mentioned before with the seventh house, it's like, you may not really come to understand your own Plutonian journey Mm -hmm. until you are in a relationship. Right. It can also be a Plutonian story about your partner, like similarly, where it's like, is, are you dating a really powerful person? Mm -hmm. Or are you dating someone with a lot of trauma issues? Um, Like there's a lot of intensity around relationships one way or another. And that's like part of your feeling about it. And your transformation through them, you know, it's not just like vanilla ass shit. (laughs) Are you a power couple? Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, because of just like the natural intensity of the partnerships that you have or are drawn to, and this can be business partners as well, not just like romantic partners, really Mm -hmm. close relationships, um, besties, there can be some like wounding because of just like the nature of the people that you're drawn to. Mm -hmm. And that can make it really hard to trust, but that's really what you're 
here to do in a lot of ways, because mm-hmm. you have to be radically open to that kind of level that a transformation of level of transformation that a relationship can bring you. Yeah. And you can make good, good mediators. Yeah, totally. The eighth house, this is, you know, a continuation of relationships and the depth of intimacy. These people, this is a comfortable place for Pluto. It's these people innately understand Pluto in a way. Mm -hmm. They are very emotionally resilient, natural psychologist, really good and kind of unafraid often of death or the death process Mm -hmm. in some way death doulas end of life care the eighth house is also a cult it's it's like again like the dark house there can be mediumship yeah it's just like spooky woo woo speaking from the other world yeah truly talking to the dead yeah (laughs) messages from the dead yeah lots of healing gifts i think here too on Mm -hmm. that on all on all spectrums i'd say but like through especially these occult forms like sex work as well Mm -hmm. like and really powerful sexuality in this house i'd say like really powerful sexuality is an important part of your life this could also be like a big inheritance of plutonic themes or just like a ton of money and power like Mm -hmm. you know uh, investments but also like this house can be so like mob and like crime shape. yeah crime <laughs> you can be a great criminal yeah <laughs> or you have to rehab your criminal past yeah the transformation or something not to be so like whatever some crimes are <laughs> worthy <laughs> yeah yeah true the ninth house the house of beliefs and mm-hmm religion religious institution so there's a lot of uh yeah faith there's there's the possibility of religious trauma spiritual trauma in in the ninth house with pluto fanaticism nihilism it's just like an obsessive quest for meaning too Mm -hmm. yeah i'd say that there's like there's like a real journey here of like being pretty skeptical about organized religion um Mm. And just a really like these ninth house Plutos, it's like moral hypocrisy. They see it mm-hmm. everywhere. It can make mm-hmm. them crazy about like politics and mm-hmm. crazy about religion. Like it's like unbearable, which can put you in a direction of nihilism, but yeah. that's not your ultimate purpose here. Like the transformation potential is really just like breaking out of the systems that kind of formed that worldview, mm-hmm. like literally leave your hometown. You have to leave your hometown. (laughs) Like, this is just like the classic story of like, if so much of your, like that Plutonian power relationship where it's just like, if this context is what built your worldview, Mm -hmm. like you come from like a super conservative hometown and you're like the most like outspoken liberal, say the, say the thing they don't want you to say at Mm -hmm. family dinner or whatever person that is a role that also needs to, that's like a plutonic role for sure in that town, but that needs to be broken for your own freedom. Mm -hmm. Go to New York city, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Or abroad. Eat, pray, love it. Yes. Yes. Completely. Yeah. Cause you, this house has the potential to just like have such a powerful moral voice, you know, a real one. And also just like somebody that really is like deep in study, like Mm -hmm. a powerful thinker or like academic of some kind. But yeah, it's, it is also, you pointed out as very born again vibes. (laughs) It's very like 
devote yourself in a new way to something yeah. that you learn about later in life. The 10th house. Tenth and houses. this is like extra, extra juice. If it's like how, depending on how close it is to your midheaven. Yeah. Yeah. 10th house is, is a sensitive house anyway, no matter what, but it has everything to do with your reputation and your legacy and your broader career. So you can have a lot of obsession with these things. There can be power struggles in your field. You're just really aware of what your potential might be in the mm -hmm. outer world. It, it can come from like this earlier experience of seeing maybe your parents' dissatisfaction or mediocrity with the work that they did. And you just feel determined not to repeat that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that can make for a pretty power hungry person. Yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, this is just like anything 10th house just basically just puts everyone's eyes on you in one way or another. Like, and so in that role, you can be like a really catalyzing person for big change, like a public truth there, a public mm -hmm. Plutonian that's like calling for a transformation of the world and people actually will listen to you, you know, mm -hmm. um, really passionate and can be really fucking rich. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially if there's a Venus aspect to that Pluto, that's like the billionaire, Jupiter too. Jupiter too. A billionaire uh, aspect. Yeah. The 11th house, this is a social house. These are your groups, your social circles. So there's just really powerful social dynamics that you're often part of with Pluto here. So social overextension. I've seen that people with this placement sometimes have been bullied growing mm -hmm. up or were the bully. There's just like an awareness of that mm -hmm. power dynamic which could make you a late bloomer. You just have power in group dynamics. And sometimes that's a good thing. You can be a magnet for change that's important in a community or a group. These people like call out power mm -hmm. dynamics in communities. Yeah. Like calling out the abusers in the punk scene. Totally. So like 11th house Pluto vibes. Mm -hmm. The 11th house is so politics too. Especially with Pluto here. Yeah. It's it's a specific kind of like behind the scenes um, PR. Yeah, machine. like crisis PR, damage control. Yeah. yeah. Like you are responsible. Like the way that you speak truth to power is kind of within groups to keep them on track, basically. Mm -hmm. To like pull out the Plutonian power dynamics, the conflict, the bad behavior, the the dark side of what's happening and course correct um, so that we can all move into the future as not like in a, we can move to a brighter future. Yeah. It's actually a really, truer future. Yeah. It's a good placement or a power. I mean, they're all powerful, but in the 11th house is like, we all know that power dynamics can make a group stuck, very mm -hmm. stuck. Like you can just go round and round and round in circles. Totally. The person with Pluto in the 11th tends to break that cycle and move it forward and just catalyze it in some way, which is very necessary. Completely. Last. The 12th. But not least. <laughs> yeah. This, anything 12th house, like this is the, this is a very liminal house. The most liminal mm. one. It's truly the last, it's the, it's the one at the end of the line before you're reincarnated once again in the first house. Like 
and everything in here can be just so um, unconscious or operate so unconsciously. So it's always important in any 12th house matter to bring things into a conscious awareness mm-hmm. and, and have some boundaries around them because like here you can just be absolutely so, Oh, so brutally attuned to the, miseries of the world, the suffering of the world, Mm -hmm. all the nasty things that are going on in the world. And that hypersensitivity can feel so intense that you, you just like turn off your compassion essentially, because Mm -hmm. it's just too overwhelming. You can't look at it. You can't deal with it, but that would be a mistake because you have the carrying capacity of compassion of like a saint and, Mm -hmm. and the, maybe the trials and tribulations of one as well. (laughs) Um, it can be really focused on mental health, uh, mental health crises and Mm -hmm. redemptions and breakthroughs. It can also be an obsession with like woo woo shit and spirituality Mm -hmm. and new age beliefs in a way that's trying to transcend any complicated. Yes. Very like, um, love and light, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, spirituality, these people are so, so good with people who suffer and people mm-hmm. who are isolated, people who are incarcerated, people who are in hospitals. It's just like the people that are kind of forgotten or left out of the, the main picture. Mm-hmm. These people are big advocates or can be. I just think that it's it's more important than anybody else that these people like protect their boundaries or psychic yeah. emotional boundaries. It has to be like a drastic lifestyle. Yeah. Meditation, spiritual Mm -hmm. work. Like you have so many spiritual tools, like depth, spiritual tools. So Mm -hmm. you have to use them often and mindfully meditation is really amazing with this. Like you just have to like empathy is going to be your transformer. Like that's going to be the way that you transform yourself in the world. So keep that, keep, keep your empathy capacity alive and strong. Mm -hmm. Pluto in the 12th too is such an nightmares are such an indicator. You don't have good boundaries. Mm. It's just like Pluto showing up in your dreams, <laughs> like feeling like you're controlled. It's like, yeah, it's just, you have such psychic connection to the world around you, which has so much potential, but it can be very overwhelming. Yeah, it can be, but you have overwhelming potential. Yeah, truly. So maybe to just close us out on a little bit of a sweet note, mm-hmm. um, I want to just talk briefly about the tarot card that's associated with Pluto, which is the judgment card. And it's called awakening in many decks, which I feel like this is the card that's telling the story of what happens once you've had your like Pluto confrontation. Mm-hmm. Actually, once you have done the digging, once you've done the work, once you've pulled the curtain aside and seen that like, you know, Oz is just a little guy on a stool and doesn't have any power over you. Mm -hmm. It asks us to make an important change to the way that we're living life. But like most often it is recognizing and formalizing a change that's already happened in your heart. It's like every part of you has already made the change and you just need to say, I'm changing Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like, we're getting a divorce. (laughs) Like, I'm moving to Florida, not Florida. (laughs) I'm moving to somewhere cooler than that. I'm moving to Quebec. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it's really just like a call to rise to a more meaningful existence and like just pulling you into like a macrocosmic perspective a new an invitation into a new consciousness it depicts an angel that's blowing a huge horn coming out of a cloud and then a man woman and child that are in the kind of foreground of the image are rising out of their graves with their backs to us and they're reaching their hands up mm. to this angel and the horn has this cross on it which symbolizes like the joining of opposites the connection of all things that have been separated are mundane lived experience and like these spiritual like jolts of like real like the kind of powerful plutonic experience that can mm. make you feel like you're actually just connected to like the spiritual undercurrent and purity underneath the world and not in a delusional neptunian way in like mm. a very embodied and empowered way and the fact that the figures that are rising up have their backs to us just says like, we don't know what this change is going to look like until we actually go through it. And that just means taking that last step. And also the fact that there are multiple people in this card highlights the fact that liberation can really only be experienced as a collective. And that when you're liberate part, your liberation is connected to the liberation of everybody. Um, the thing that makes me always cry when I think about this card, um, the lovely luminous Amanda Yates Garcia, who does the Between the Worlds podcast, she was talking about this card. She brought up this line from the Talmud saying that every blade of grass has an angel leaning over it, whispering, grow, grow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Pluto. <laughs> when it's being nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's like the best potential for Pluto. Um, feeling like it's a force that's greater than yourself. That's collective. That's leading you. That's calling you. That's drawing you magnetically inescapably to your truest self. <laughs> How we make ourselves cry. Every <laughs> We're podcast. sensitive. I know. Just for context, Kristen's little moon is on right on my ascendant. We're so cancery. <laughs> yeah, once one Just of us like starts going sentimental and sweet. <sighs> That's beautiful. It's really, um, you know, we have Pluto going back into Aquarius for most of next year and then really for good for a long time. And it's always daunting to imagine what that portends, mm -hmm. but I love to think that. You just can't be afraid. <laughs> you just have to be brave. Yeah, we're in it together. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Club Cosmos Radio is created by Kristen Stagemoller and Malia Croy. Follow us on Instagram at Club Cosmos Radio and send your burning astrology questions and hot topics to us at clubcosmosradio at gmail.com.